0: Welcome to the Exploring Leadership Podcast, where we interview experienced
1: HR leaders and executives to define what the most effective leaders are made of and how to help underperforming leaders transform into the best they can be.
0: Brought to you by Lumen Leadership. Now, here's your host, Spencer Taylor.
1: My guest today is Tracy Tanner, who is the CEO at Colina Corporation, and she has a nickname that some of the people that uh, she was leading some years ago uh, started calling her Nike because she just does it. She's one of those just do it type people. And you're going to hear that in her voice and in the energy and the conversation uh, at the end. Uh, stick around because she shares with us a very powerful framework that she calls the bold framework or the bold model. And I'm really excited for you to learn that from her. Uh, without further ado, let's jump right into the interview. So excited for Tracy Tanner. First, I just want to thank you, Tracy. I really am grateful. I know you're busy, plenty going on, growing a wonderful organization, and so glad you would invest a few minutes here with me today.
0: Oh, no problem. I'm happy to do it.
1: It's always so fascinating just to see kind of the main the main threads of people's lives that shape them into who they are today. So do you mind just giving us some headlines or highlights of, of your life up to this point? I know that's a big ask because you've had a wonderful, wonderful full life.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity to to uh, share my journey because I think that's exactly what everybody has is a journey. And when you look at the person and what they've accomplished, they may be wearing nice clothes and they may be, you know, in a position that's a higher level position or have you, but we as individuals will maybe, you know, they always say judge within the 30 first 30 seconds. Right. So you don't know what that individual has come into and how they got to that point. And so that's sort of my mantra and what my philosophy is when I when I meet others, um, especially if they're going through anything. But to answer your question, um, you know, I'm not an exempt from that. My background is I didn't come from money. Um, my mom and dad struggled. They actually were wonderful parents. My family was very supportive. And I was raised in a salvage yard. So that is what started my life. And there were a lot of issues around that um, because my dad ended up being a whistleblower. So I really understood what it took to, to be a tight-knit family and really watch watch your back um, because of that episode or event in our lives as a family. And so we really turned inward and really worked together as a family, very tight knit, because we knew we were good people inside. And we wanted to exemplify that as we move forward in life. So my whole, um, you know, my dad, which I shared with you the other day, told each one of us, I'm one of five, the youngest of five, told each one of us that We were, you know, we had to go to college. Well, unbeknownst to us, we knew he had cancer, but unbeknownst to us, he died at an early age at 49, but he was instilling that in us early on, which many people don't have, many children don't have. So again, from my background, although it was a rough background, we did have that support, which goes miles and miles, right? As far as knowing that you came from a grounded um foundation, so to speak. So with that, I knew I was going to go to college. I knew that, that was what my dad wanted and I wanted as well. And I wanted to get out of that environment of that salvage yard environment. And so at age 17, I started working at the grocery store locally in Columbus, Ohio. And it was actually a great experience. And then I ended up, um, one thing that I did do in that whole time frame is I always said yes. So if somebody wanted me to fill in in other departments, I said, yes, sure, I'll do that. And I think that was also part of that upbringing of knowing in an entrepreneurial family that you have to wear all hats. And so I continued that throughout my life and my career and moved out eventually. Well, I started in a computer a store retail store in Columbus, Ohio, and then eventually uh, came out to California with my husband in 1990. And my goal was to work for Microsoft. So I did work for Microsoft, and other tech firms, including Ingram Micro, and then pivoted out the, the, the famous trendy word pivoted out of that, that particular industry and went into Ernst & Young. So with all of those experiences, I was in large strategic account management, uh, relationship building with vendors, uh, learned a lot about operations, learned a lot about warehousing, uh, a lot about um, marketing and purchasing and contractual arrangements with these high-end clients. So had a really well-rounded life in, in that corporate career and led, especially in Ingram Micro, I'm um, at a senior director level eventually before I left for Ernst & Young.
1: Wonderful. Well, that's, that's amazing. I, I wanted to kind of pull on a couple of threads uh, from what you talked about. I, I love I love what you said about though your childhood was challenging and, and just kind of a rough environment in in some ways that you were bound together as a family. You learn what it took to be a tight knit family, I think is is close to the phrase that you shared with us. Mm -hmm. And then it's so fascinating to me. I I love this process of learning about different high impact leaders like yourself, because it tends to be true that there were some early experiences that became crucial for for kind of the path that you've taken. I mean, you you just finished telling us about uh, some of the high-stakes relationships that you were, you are and, and have been in, in charge of kind of uh, cultivating. Uh, and th- it seems like there's probably a connection there. Uh, learning how to be a tight-knit family, that's all about relationships. And then on the professional front, more, more uh, close coming up to current day, you're still doing that, really. You're still kind of building tight-knit families, <laughs> you know, quote-unquote. Uh, anyway, any comments around that or further reflections on whether there is a connection there and what that looks like?
0: Absolutely. Um, thank you for asking that. You know, and you always hear people say when you're especially when I was in sales and marketing in my career, and not everybody abides abides to this, by the way. That is, whomever you come across in an organization when you're calling on a potential client, you treat them with respect. Well, my mom and dad told me that as a little tot. They used to say, treat everyone with respect and Basically, my dad, I remember him saying that no matter how educated someone else is and how much money they have, you treat them with respect and don't feel like you're lesser. And on the flip side, which is the most key part on the flip side, no matter if you've achieved more education or more money than others, don't treat those folks with less respect. And so he was always, um, you know, and here he is, he was, he was in World War II, a Navy veteran. And like I said, hardworking people. And he didn't really want the life he had and what ended up leading him to having to uh, be a whistleblower. I'm sure that he didn't want, want for that. But he always had this uh, taking the high road kind of attitude, and so did my mom. And that's what I carried with me and treating everyone equally. And so once I got into corporate America, because I always wanted to do that, um, one day I was talking, uh, and and this actually, these comments were more than this, just this one time, but I remember this one young gentleman who I was talking to and, and having a one-on-one. And he was a really cool guy, young guy, and he was new into the department and we were, there was rumors of layoffs and we were talking and he said, you know, Tracy, I just want to let you know that whatever you do and you have to do, I understand. Um, however, I just want to also share with you that I really respect how your bar is always high and your, and your expectations is how he said it he phrased it and which is great because everybody is trying to achieve higher than what they think they can. Uh, and you allow them that, but also you treat everyone with fairness, every single person. And I thought, wow, I just was trying to be me because of my background and cumulative experiences. But that really resonated with me. And not that I'm perfect by any means, um, but it really resonated with me that someone validated it and, and actually acknowledged they, you know, they saw it in me.
1: Boy, it's, it's amazing. I I love, uh, I love the way that you're in that scenario. You just, or situation you just described um, the way he put that everyone, because of the way you were leading and setting the bar high, everyone is trying to achieve higher than they think they can. I think that's a pretty phenomenal definition of leadership. Ultimately. I mean, that, that's what a leader should be. is kind of awakening We're activating uh, those parts of their people uh, that maybe those people didn't even know existed in in some ways. So I I just think that's, that's beautiful how you put that.
0: Thank you. Um, you know, I did share with you this sort of a funny thing that, that the other day that when I was at Microsoft, several of my coworkers that my closest teammates would call me Nike because I would always say, let's just do it. And I was always passionate about jumping in, rolling my sleeves up. And that was, you know, obviously part of my upbringing as well because we had to. Um, so that was really important to me to really explore these opportunities and work as a team. And I, And recently, last, now it's been five months, uh, in December, I was asked to speak at a global, um, conference and it was out of the UK, hosted out of the UK. And basically the topic was, how can we help others, especially young women, be global leaders? And I thought long, a long time about that. You know, I, I was told about the the uh, program a couple months in advance. And I really thought about it because I hadn't really put to pen a lot of what I had done, even though all my experience and everything in, in, in uh, corporate America. And one of the things that I had really struggled with is why do we have to really focus on just global leaders, that concept of global leader? because i think that it's more important about global thinking and not not from the perspective of international working internationally because not that that is not about what it, what everyone is about or wants um because they may want to stay in their their hometown and their local area but how do you create a leader that is global thinking and, and i'll talk about that in a, minute, a second but i have a a good friend now who is a former monk and he's done a whole program for us that talks about uh, the science of science of protection. That's his new book that was released and Mm -hmm. Ramon Newman, and he's from New Zealand and Ramon is a a former running and rugby champion from New Zealand at the national. level.
1: Wow.
0: Ramon actually burnt out around the age, 25, 26 ish. And he decided to go into the monastery. And so I thought that was pretty remarkable. A young guy decides to dedicate his life, uh, or at least a year, the buddy of his to the monastery to really regroup and rethink what, what am I doing in life after he burnt out? And so he did that. And at the end of one year, they both decided that it was, um, you know, it was so fascinating. And, he, and as his phrase says, I was charmed with it by the life of a, of a monk, a meditative monk full time. And what that represented is eight hours a day, seven days a week, meditating with their eyes closed. Hmm. So at the end of one year, Raman says to his friend, Hello. Well, do you like it? We committed to one year. They said to each other, "You know, what are your, what are your thoughts?" And they continued to stay because they loved it so much. An additional nine years. So for a total of ten years, they were meditating wow. eight hours a day, seven days a week, with their eyes closed. Huh. And and the science of protection is a is an awesome uh, journey in his life that discusses how do you. Really reflect within as a leader, because this is your topic here today and what we're talking about. How do you reflect as a leader, uh, about, you know, reflect within to become a better leader before you can lead for others and say that you're a leader. And so I really think that that's fascinating. And one of the things that I, you know, to go back to my comment with regard to global thinking and as I reflected, in December and many times through my life, but especially when I was putting this to, to paper and I decided that, you know, I was having a hard time, as I mentioned, with um, the word global leader without really thinking globally, meaning this is you're approaching anything in your life as a leader. And this is what I, I reflected upon with my for myself of what I did throughout my life from. Early on, when I was a child, participating in my dad's business, answering the phone when I was in kindergarten, and beyond that, in the grocery business, in in the uh, technology business, and in Ernst & Young, and now today, which I'll talk about more in my in my company, that I was looking at all parts because global doesn't only mean international or worldwide; it means looking at it's all parts. So when you think global thinking, you're looking at all parts as we move through the process every day and we look at what's happening. And if you're in a department, let's say, and in a role, let's look at it even more myopically. If you're looking in a particular role, how does what I do affect the person next to me or the person across from me or nowadays remotely? How does what I do reflect and affect on others? across in the other department in the whole process of things. And not only just that one department, but that the department that that department is working with. And that's key too, because you may not know the repercussions of your actions and how that will snowball or the domino effect, if you will, through the system within an organization. And so global thinking as a leader is tantamount.
1: Making a note here because I love this so much. There's two things that uh, from this global segment of our conversation that really stand out. The first is in a more literal sense, as we talk about, uh, again, I, I love how you shifted things from the original commission, I guess, uh, of talking about young women. I think it was becoming global leaders and how you, you immediately, uh, shifted that to thinking about uh, global thinking. Um, I, I think that, uh, Becoming a global leader, at least to me, and, and maybe it, maybe I'm misunderstanding the context a little bit from the original, but I, I think the principle still stands that it feels like a, a bridge too far in a lot of ways. Like global leader means you're the CEO of of Microsoft or you know some gigantic corporation, or you're the president of a large nation. Like you, you know, there's only a few spots there at that global true global leader uh, status, I guess you could say, but. Global thinking, on the other hand, is something that anyone can grab hold of. Any of us can think more broadly. Again, I like how you put that, and as you as you kind of applied it more to the, I guess, a local or immediate daily life context, looking at all the parts, looking at what's happening more broadly. Uh, I know that one of the biggest challenges organizations face is cross department collaboration, as well as kind of top down communication, getting the same clear message. From the top down and then also clear message from down to to the top level of the organization. So anyway, I just I love that those couple of powerful principles that uh, that emerged there as you're talking about this concept of global thinking.
0: Well, it's interesting that at one point when I was probably I would say in my mid 30s, I think I may have shared part of this with you. I basically was asked to um, after one year, once I got my MBA at that point, I was given a promotion. And I, I only been, as I mentioned, at Ingram Micro it was for one year. And I was asked to turn the department around because there were morale issues. So I hadn't done anything like that before. You know, I just got my degree. I mean, so I, because of my, I try to have a very positive attitude and let you just do it attitude. I pulled everyone into the conference room and said, I'm, I'm just a part of this. You know, don't expect me to run the whole, I'm running it and leading it, but I'm, I'm not making all the decisions here because this is for all of you so that we can create a better environment, a fun environment and more cohesive environment. And so I started with that. You know, I may not have all the experience here in this, but we'll work together. And so that took off. We created a training program. We created, um, You know, not only an orientation, but training for those who were already orientation for new employees, but then a training for those who wanted to have a career path to get to another level, another position, or even transition out of the department into another department. How do they do that? What does that mean? What's the right position that they could go to based on their skill set? We created award systems. And really, really fully blew it out. I mean, we had a really wonderful team of people, department, and it just was so fun to work with everyone. And so we had that and it was, as I say, ticking and popping, right? But what what happened after that was even more beautiful in my mind. You know, obviously that worked for everybody and I thought that was awesome. But then after that, the CEO said, you know, you've done such a wonderful I said, no, this is all of us. We've done this. Okay, you guys have done a wonderful job. Can you be the leader of taking this on the road to other departments to help them understand what you've done? So I did that. But here's where it comes even in my mind more beautiful. And that is I was walking down the hallway one day and the executive secretary to the CEO tapped me on the shoulder and she said, you know, it's not somebody you can refuse, nor would I want to, as I mentioned, because everyone is equal to me and, and respected. And so she said, Stacey, we've, we've heard what you're doing in the department, what your d- department has created and w- under your leadership and the admin staff is highly overlooked and undervalued. The admins, any secretarial position, executive secretaries, whatever level within that, that, uh, structure. He said, would you entertain the idea of helping us and doing the same for us throughout all of Ingram hmm. that you've done for your, your department? And of course I said, absolutely, I'll do it. So we did. And that was so well received. And I felt it was very rewarding for me. The fact that I was able to help people that were overlooked. You know, most of the time it's like, okay, get it done. You're the admin or whatever, but they're not respected as people. And a lot of those folks are very educated. They're very bright. Um, they bring a lot to the table. And I always brought them to the table. And I think that's what's key um, to understand and and never forget.
1: Well, I couldn't agree more. And I, I the thought that it kind of just emerged that was inspired by you, what you just said, is that I think one of the realities of just Humanity, uh, just humans in general, is that people want to feel valued before they can really contribute their most important value. Right. Like they need to feel like they're important first. Your whole—I uh, wrote down in my note here—the we versus me. You know, again, if if the leader is is leading from the standpoint of this is all about my reputation, my future, my success, my career path, then boy, the people really are not going to feel that value. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be willing to jump aboard and, and accomplish something that's bigger than any one person. But it seems like that's why that your, uh, your approach was so transformational. I know there was more to it, your, your technical abilities and the skills that you possess and that you were able to draw out within your team, but just in a overly, maybe overly simplistic way that uh, you weren't leading from a me standpoint, you were leading from a we standpoint.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, You know, and you just touched on something that really spurred a thought that I, I was part of a group last week at like a think tank. And one of the things we were talking about, the topics was skills for employability. And that was, that's a major, major topic. And basically one of the people there was saying that every single person Should learn coding because you had mentioned you might have had technical ability and so forth. I never thought of myself as a technical person until I got into technology and I did have some roadblocks being the only female person out of 20 sales reps at a retail store that now has 26 throughout the country. This was in Columbus, Ohio. And it's interesting that, you know, you develop, you can develop anything if you try. I mean, some people may have other inabilities to do so, um, but most people can develop their technical skills or develop, but the most transferable skills are these soft skills or employability skills. And that's what my company is about now, because about four years ago, I got into the entrepreneurial ecosystem in Orange County and I noticed that, oh my gosh, so highly rich in information and most of these ecosystems are, and I've actually spoken to 70 leaders worldwide, all PhD professors that focus on, and that was last April, by the way, a year ago, um, through a conference I went to virtually, first one of the first big conferences, and it was focused on entrepreneurship run by San Diego State University. There were 1,100 people on the call, on the, on the conference. And I actually, this is how driven I have been with my business. I took all 1,100 names and went into LinkedIn to connect with each one of them one by one and send a personal message. And I wow. in 70 Zoom calls in one month from mid-April, mid-May uh, a year ago. So I did learn a lot, is my point, about all of these entrepreneurial educators throughout the world and their ecosystems, their respective ecosystems. And many of them, obviously, they're at univer- respective universities. They're either business in the business college teaching, running the business college, or running the entrepreneurship center in every case. And most all of them said the same, and that is their ecosystem in their town is very rich with information, but highly siloed, which is what my observation was um, and they may not have said it in those terms, but that's what my observation was when I was um, navigating physically going into the meetings in Orange County. And the reason why I say that, it's not necessarily a negative and a, or a criticism. It's, it's about those who, you know, you and I can probably navigate this stuff because we have the experience, right? We can navigate and make a call and understand, but there are others that may not be able to especially if they're just starting out in entrepreneurship. They may be very young and experienced in navigating, you know, a large corporation as such as I did many corporations. And so as I was observing, cause that was part of my uh, role at Anchor Micro and that's process improvement, right? So I always go with that lens when I navigate anything and that was, you know, I felt like it was highly siloed. So that's what it came to me today uh, how I came to today, I should say. And I started a company, which is an ed tech company focused on entrepreneurial education and soft skills development. And I paired those two concepts because I, through my research in doing, um, not knowing I was going to start a company and never thinking that four years ago, ever. was When I went into this ecosystem, that wasn't my intent. And then two years into it, as they say, the entrepreneurial bug bit me. And my love of education, my love of um, of technology paired together, which was awesome. But the, how I paired the two concepts of entrepreneurial and soft skills um, is this. Entrepreneurship is not just starting a company. It's having the mindset, the entrepreneurial mindset. And I really just learned four years ago about the term corporate entrepreneur. I didn't even know that existed. Corporate entrepreneur, and I guess a, a former term, and not as trendy as today, is entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And so with that, I felt like I always had that. You know, I was gifted to... At least I believe I did to navigate these large corporations where I was more of that corporate entrepreneur. And I thought, well, how can people succeed? And how can we teach those? And what is what does that look like? Why did I have this why do I have this mindset? And so I looked at the, the different situations that I came across um, and how I actually approached that situation and what it took in my skill set, my toolbox, so to speak, in which I exemplified a particular uh, personal attribute or, or soft skill. And so I did that. And then I realized that there were, there's a lot of truth to what I was already believing to my, about myself. And that is, I did have that entrepreneurial mindset and it was about the soft skills. And by the way, I was in a technical industry and, learning technology as well. But what was the most transferable was having these soft skills. And I look back at my full career, starting at the grocery store when I had an actual paying job before, after the uh, salvage yard. And it was all about um, having this can-do attitude and exemplifying these soft skills, whether it's, first of all, many people think of soft skills in many terms. I mentioned employability skills. Some call them critical skills, 21st century skills, life skills, personal attributes. And uh, more recently, a friend of mine said, why don't you just call them power skills? And I thought, mm. well, that's a really cool way to say it because it is they are powerful and they do empower you to do more and lead. And so with that, um, you know, some of those skills as examples for those who are listening are Communication, problem solving, perseverance, taking the initiative, team building, understanding how to be a good team member and, and be part of a team. Uh, and the list goes on and on. Leadership is actually a soft skill, having the knowledge of how to be a leader. And so if you do a Google search or whatever browser you, you use and understand what soft skills are and you want to search that there will be an infinite list of soft skills. I mean, it's not just the ones that I mentioned because I'm sure I'm adaptability, you know, that's a, a really big one, especially in our time today of what we've gone through as a world, as the world together as one collective, you know, that we have experienced um, we had to be adaptable and it's been rough And adaptability in corporate America or in entrepreneur, if you're starting a company, is very key. That's like one of the communication, adaptability, taking the initiative. I mean, all of these things are so key. And understanding who you are with those personal attributes, what personal attributes you excel at, and those that you may want to develop further is very key. But pairing the two of entrepreneurship because typically, when we say entrepreneur, most people think that someone started a company. And then we look at all of what, what are these attributes? And they're very much the same in corporate America. But really, as an entrepreneur, meaning someone starting a company, they're developing these skills all the time. They may not be the best at taking the initiative or communicating, but they're developing. And that's the key. If you're constantly Adapting and developing and trying to learn, then you're always going to succeed and get there in the, as the end result. Um, I have a a buddy of mine, Jeff DeGrandis, and it's part of the creativity group that I've been a part of the Chuck Jones Center for Creativity. And Jeff DeGrandis, um, he always says you have to create. And well, he actually got that from Chuck Jones himself. And Chuck Jones was the famous animator at Warner Brothers. By the way, Jeff created Dora the Explorer. And so um, he works for, I think he's back at Warner Brothers now, but he has worked for Nickelodeon, and or maybe he's back at Nickelodeon, excuse me. And he's worked at many different uh, Pixar and different companies within animation companies and very talented and such a good guy and a good family. And he always says, "Trace, if you want us, uh, anytime I've seen him, if you want to sketch, I'm working toward my 10,000 for protect or, uh, perfection. Cause he, he has been told by his mentor, Chuck Jones, that you need to do repetition and continually, you know, and, and you've heard this and, and many people have, but he adopts that, um, to the nth degree. And he, and he continually is giving sketches away to people to sit down and what, will, what would you like today? You know, and trying to hone in on his craft.
1: I, there is so much in what you just talked about for the last several minutes that is amazing. Uh, it, it's funny because one of the things that has has uh, really risen to the surface for me is the simple act, simple but monumental act that you undertook to go through the list of eleven hundred people oh. <laughs> and connect with them. Like I, I just, I thought that's the Nike part of Tracy, <laughs> like that's the Just Do It
0: Tracy.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and that's uh, and with your permission, maybe we'll even put uh, Tracy Nike uh, <laughs> in your name of who we interviewed, Tracy Nike Tanner, as if we're introducing you as a, a wrestler in the corner, in the blue corner. We have Tracy Nike. You know, <laughs> anyway, of course, we don't have to do that. Um, <laughs> but I I think that's amazing because it, it's an it's a, an illustration of a lot of the soft skills that now with uh, with your company with Kalena, that you're helping people learn it is that uh, adaptability. Again, you just talked about that and and uh, seeing opportunities where others may not see them, being willing to put in the work, like having something that you care about enough that that uh, how much you believe in it and how much you care about it acts as somewhat of a fuel behind your efforts to, to get big things done, not only by yourself, but of course, through your teams as well. Like, There's just so much there. I'm sure we could do another half a dozen episodes, just <laughs> to picking apart each one of those, you know, several of those uh, the skills.
0: Especially in each of these large companies. I mean, I've got so many um, anecdotal stories on each of these companies. You know, the time I met Steve Ballmer and Bill Gates and at Microsoft and, you know, just it, it goes on and on, not necessarily to that degree, but different situations in, in each of the companies. And, you know, and I really value all that. I value each of the experiences I've had over time. Yeah, and and even just recently, you know, as you mentioned, is like I've done all of this in my life, but I'm in a startup now, so I have to have my entrepreneurship startup hat on. And I went through this whole ecosystem, um, as I mentioned earlier, with that thinking of looking at the process, but also sort of stripping away a lot of what I've known in the past and mm-hmm. trying to look at it from a new lens of I'm new at this and I'm walking through this process to understand what others are giving me from the perspective of advice. And as I walk through and some of it was very interesting. Um, some of it I, do- I definitely have, I've adopted and I, and many people have been very supportive. Um, and others. It's just interesting that I, I sort of I still take that attitude when I come across people who have biases and I just, you know, I let that go in one ear and out the other. And it's very, very interesting um, that it's still happening today with regard to against women. Um, and I'm not a big, you know, feminist, ra- feminist raising my flag, but more so taking the high road, always taking the high road and and not reacting. To these situations, but just proving my value and continuing being, to try to be the leader that I've always um, felt that I have been.
1: Boy, there's so much wisdom in that. I love that because when you react, you tend to just pour fuel on that fire of, of contention and and uh, difference and emphasizing the negative side. So yeah, I, I love that you're just kind of leaning forward into uh, what you can do. Um, on the positive end. Now, so that, I mean, that's a takeaway. That's, that's our next little part here as we look to wrap up. Um, there, I've already had several. I've kind of reflected on some of those actively here in the interview. But what are your biggest takeaways from what we've talked about, what you've shared? If there was one or two key things uh, that you want to highlight, please do that. And then if you'd like to roll right into an action item or a challenge uh, for listeners, something that they can do and, and to go apply right now so that they can be more impactful.
0: Okay, so I think this is where I, what I would like to leave the listeners. And that is, um, in in my whole startup world now, in the ed tech world, I decided to jump on a public convening, which is a meeting for workforce development, because I'm all about soft skills, employability and entrepreneurship, right? So I I got on this public convening and at the state level. And the commissioners um, were there, and it, you know the audience in the public were participating. They were just there to listen in on the meeting. Um, again, it was workforce development, I believe, or something to, of that nature, uh, in the title of the committee. And one of the things that this one gentleman said, one of the lead um, commissioners said to other uh, um, officials, and he said, "Be bold." during this time. And that really resonated with me because I always have felt like I have been bold to speak up for others when they can't speak up for themselves. I did that in the retail um, micro center. And I was called out by the CEO after I went to his um, office telling him, not about specific people, because it's not about that. It's not calling out specific people, but saying that there is rumor that people are unsettled because of several issues. How can I help? And so I went to him with that at the time and that he said, I'm calling a meeting tomorrow and I want you to be there. (laughs) And Mm. so he called me out in the meeting and asked me to stand up in front of all my peers and uh, talk about some of the issues that that people were unsettled with and all of his leaders were in the room and how could we address this? So I thought, so that is really speaking up for others. But so being bold, getting back to that. And that was a bold act on my part as a young person in the retail space in the computer industry. And I haven't really left that kind of attitude, but being bold, not being, uh, disrespect, I'm not saying be disrespectful or obnoxious being bold. I'm saying. Yeah a leader being bold and taking that initiative being bold. So my whole concept is think bold, be bold, think bold, be bold and act on that. So I put a, a little acronym, the B-O-L-D together. And if you'd like, I'll read through that real quick.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So for B, I always believe that that's the beacon when I threw the, went through this process and meaning that direct let's direct ourselves and others to lead and listen with a compassionate heart. And so I think that's very key. O is for observing. And I always believe that I observed through my lifetime. I recognized signs to adapt, and I was seeing with an innovative eye as much as I could. And maybe I'm not the most innovative, but I was open to innovation. I was open to others bringing their ideas. So observing and listening and adapting. I think that's really key. And then the L I would say is leveraging. And I collaborate with all your resources. And that's a really big um, piece. And, and really at Microsoft, co-opetition is a term that has been used a lot. And that is you may have competition out there, but cooperate, you could cooperate and collaborate with that, uh, with those competitors. And that's what Microsoft does. And that's what you, you, one can do as an individual as well. And you'll go a lot farther working in that environment. So collaborating with your resources, utilizing your knowledge and network for success. And as part of that, leveraging these resources. And thinking and brainstorming with a term that I made up, and that's flexterity. I've always thought of, of, you know, being ambidextrous. And the reason why I came to that is with my experience with the Chuck Jones Center of Creativity, they always talk about your brain and we're a muscle. So exercise your genius. That's their tagline. And I've worked with them for 16 years. So exercise your genius. And it's not about the right brain. It's not about the left brain. So have the flexibility and be ambidextrous in your thinking. So thinking and brainstorming with what I call flexterity. And again, leveraging those resources. So really key um, as you lead. And then lastly, drive driving for results. D for, for in the bold so continuing to add, act with boldness and just make it happen and so many times we may come across a roadblock we may be challenged but that's life that's always going to happen um you may be, may even be knocked down by something and the wind you know out of your sails as they say and that also happens that's again life so you really just have to pick yourself up and continue to make it happen um, I've been told many times in my life that you can't do that. That's not going to happen. You're not good enough or you're female. This isn't going to be right for you. That's a guy's world or whatever it is. And I just I just look at the person and say, well, you, you don't know me, you know, and that's, that's basically the attitude you have to take because it's in their head, not in your head. So don't allow what's in their head to get in your head. <laughs> yeah. And that's really the the key there. So drive for results and keep um, you know look at your target of what your goal is and keep going after that. But always have have incremental steps to that target, so you have milestone successes, so you feel that you've achieved along the way.
1: That's amazing. I love it, man. And I, I sense, I, I know that there's a lot more that we could delve into. Uh, maybe we'll even, if, if you would be so gracious. Uh, have a second episode together where we dive more into bold and this framework you've built, because I'm so interested to learn how, how people can really, again, you've, you've done a great job summarizing it, but more deeply uh, integrate that into not only the, their own lives and leadership, but their teams and organizations. Like how can they make a bold culture, like build a, you know, build a bold organization in in the, the sense that you just taught us. So anyway, I think that would be a lot of fun if, if you're open to it. Awesome. Definitely. Awesome. Awesome. So um, last of all, then, how can people connect with you and your company and the great work you're doing if if their organizations, um, I'm sure, could benefit from uh, the amazing work of uh, of Colena? How can they do that? And of course, a personal connection with you as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, you could uh, reach me at T-R-A-C-Y dot T-A-N-N-E-R at Colena. That's K-O-L-E-N-A dot com tracy.tanner at colina.com. That's my email. And our website for our learning management system is essentially what it is, a community-based learning management system, is at colina.com, uh, K-O-L-E-N-A.com. And we're working with fascinated, fascinating uh, companies right now, even being uh, in the short time we've been in business, we have four contracts in place and um, it's pretty fascinating uh, and exciting. So I'd love to talk more about that as well at some point.
1: Wow. Terrific. No, I'd love to hear more about it also. And and I'm grateful that you're willing to continue the conversation in in part two and who knows how many other parts. (laughs) Seems like we have some great things we could could create together just to help uh, people know what you're up to and and the great work you're doing. So that's, that's tremendous. The only final suggestion I'm going to leave you with is that you just change your email address to Nike at Kalina.com. <laughs> I mean, so much simpler.
0: <laughs> yeah, be, except there's a little bit of issue. I may get sued over it, but.
1: <laughs> oh, there's that. I mean, a global multi-billion dollar company coming after you. That's, that's a, that's just a normal day in your world. Cause you're just that bold. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I love it, Tracy. Thank you again so much for spending this time with me. And of course, with us in terms of the listening audience, Uh, I know we're all better for it and excited to go implement uh, everything you've taught us today. Thank you.
0: All right. Thank you very much, Spencer.
1: Wasn't that an amazing interview? I'm just so inspired by uh, Tracy's mindset, uh, her perspective on, uh, on making a difference in the world. After we stopped the recording, she and I visited a little further uh, and my, the, the depth of inspiration increased uh, dramatically as I listened to her talk about some global projects that she's working on um, as part of her, her company that she's leading um, that are just amazing. I hope you will we'll have the chance to hear more. I think we will have the chance to hear more about those on a future episode. But the key for me is just that she is a person of action. Uh, she doesn't have to have all of the answers or all of the pieces, all the budget. Uh, in place before she takes action and just gets something moving, creates momentum. And I think there's so much value in that type of mindset. I mean, I, it's perfectly illustrated already by her in the bold model that she shared with us there at the end of the interview. That I I absolutely love and want to internalize and uh, and make part of my life, not just on the professional front, but also as a husband and father, a member of my community, all those good things. That uh, we all wear lots of different hats, and that's the beauty of this. This whole experience that we're having together is that the leadership principles that we learn about and then are drawn out of of different interviews ultimately can be applied in every aspect of our lives so that we can be a better uh, contributor in the world and be more united. Of course, there's a great need for that. And uh, I feel more determined than I have for a while uh, to be better in those specific ways. Thanks to Tracy Tanner. So I hope you'll check out Colina, her company, Colina, K-O-L-E-N-A dot com, as well as connect with Tracy directly.
0: Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Exploring Leadership Podcast. To access free videos, leadership tools, case studies, tutorials, and more about how to engage your leaders at the next level, visit LumenLeader.com. We'll see you next time.